going to be continuing in our study in the Sermon on the Mount this morning in a message that I'm calling To Judge or Not to Judge, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Uh, before we get into the Word, let's ask the Lord for help with this message. Lord, we're, we're grateful for this time together. We're grateful for the opportunity to dig into your Word, Lord. Uh, Lord, uh, this morning as we uh, come to this important pa- uh, passage in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, help us to look at ourselves Help us to uh, see where you would correct us, Lord, and uh, help us to put these things into practice, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, many of you may have been following uh, the trial of Amber Geiger this week. Uh, She is the Dallas police officer who was uh, convicted of murder. Uh, She uh, allegedly went into the wrong apartment, uh, and there was an African-American man there uh, who she didn't expect to be there. Uh, and she was still in uniform, and she had her gun, and she shot the man and, and killed him. Uh, and the trial happened this week. She was found guilty of murder, uh, and she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. But at the sentencing hearing, uh, the family of uh, John, uh, Botham John, who was the name of the victim, uh, they got a chance and an opportunity to speak. And uh, so I'm sure many of you have seen the video, uh, but uh, this is uh, his brother, Brant who had the opportunity to speak at uh, his hearing. And uh, I don't do this often, but I'm going to play this video clip uh, because I want, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, to see it because it really lines up well uh, with what I want to say today. So if you'll play that, Rachel. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Well, that 
is amazing, isn't it? Uh, that is so, so powerful. And uh, it's hard to watch that even, I've seen it, I don't know how many times now, and I still have a hard time keeping eyes dry uh, watching that. It, it's just amazing. And I could stand up here and I could preach all day about judging and not judging, and I could not say what Brant Jean showed this woman uh, in just this simple action of love and grace, uh, forgiveness, and offering this woman a hug. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Brandt did not judge her. Uh, he showed compassion. He gave her the gospel, and he offered her forgiveness. And that's what it looks like to be a Christian, to be a bond of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be wholly committed to him, and wholly committed to the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Brangine showed. And of course, the Twitter critics immediately uh, jumped up in judgment against uh, this young man, uh, saying that uh, Christianity is foolish and whatever else they might say, but uh, what do we expect from people who don't have the Holy Spirit, right? So we do have the Holy Spirit and we are given opportunities to make judgments or not to make judgments every day. And so it's important for us to understand uh, when it's right to make judgment and when it's right not to make judgment. And so we need to know, what did Jesus mean when he said, do not judge? Well, our passage today is very often taken out of context, right? The first three words, do not judge, are often used as this blanket prohibition uh, that we should never judge anything ever. Uh, and, and that's not what Jesus was saying here. He was saying that we should judge, uh, but with discernment, uh, the discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit, at the right time, using the right measure, with humility, after we have examined ourselves first for sin, and even then only uh, out of love and for the glory of Christ, not for our own personal glory. So we'll look at the principle first, do not judge, and then we'll look at uh, several reasons why we should not judge, and then we'll look at uh, this qualification that Jesus added in verse 6. So let's look at the principle first, <clears throat> do not judge. And so this is what uh, he was talking about, do not judge. Uh, the Greek word for judgment is this Greek word krino. Uh, and it means several things. If, if you look at this word in the Bible, do a, a, a study, look at a concordance, you'll see a whole bunch of different uh, meanings for this word. It's translated in the Bible as uh, to avenge, to decree, to esteem, to ordain, uh, to judge or to pass judgment, to find fault, to condemn, to criticize, to think, to consider. Uh, all these various translations because the, the, the word has such a very wide range of meaning. And so what they all have in common, though, is that uh, we've weighed something, we've thought about something, and we've distinguished or discerned something, and then maybe we made some kind of decision based on that discernment. But since there are so many nuances to this word, we really have to look at the context to have a good understanding of what Jesus was talking about. Uh, so we know that he says here in verse 1, do not judge. But then in verse 6, he says, do not give what is holy to the dogs and don't cast your pearls before swine. In verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. So how can we adhere to these commandments of Jesus without rendering some kind of judgment first? So it's important to know when it's right uh, to judge and when it's not right to judge. So let's talk first about what this verse does not mean. Of all 
The misused verses in scripture, this has to be the most misused verse in scripture, I think. Uh, we live now in a postmodern world, and uh, the great characteristic of, of postmodernism is that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Your truth is good for you, and my truth is good for me. Uh, all truth is relative, and, and you've heard that phrase before, but what does it mean? All truth is relative to what? Well, it means that truth is relative to our time in history or, or our place in culture or something like that. So things are not necessarily true uh, absolutely. They're dependent on time and culture. So, for example, what might be true uh, today uh, might not be true in another country, for example. Or what might have been true in the United States 50 years ago is not true today because times change and so truth changes. And uh, so we have that time and cultural uh, absolute or uh, relative truth. But there's also this kind of truth that says that truth is in the eye of the beholder, right? Uh, truth is dependent on my feelings and dependent on my experience. And so my truth is my truth for me. And your truth may be different than my truth, dependent on your experience and your background. Uh, so you have your truth and I have my truth, but that's okay, the postmodernist says. Uh, all we need to do is just be tolerant of everyone else. And another way to say that is don't judge. And that's where these verses are ripped out of context. Uh, they pluck the first three words out of context and they use them like a sword against anyone who would say anything that's bad or wrong with our world or our society. They just say, don't judge. Uh, and so these words are often used against Christians. But ironically, they love these couple of words, but they ignore the rest of biblical truth, right? And they just rely on these words. So they, they misuse these verses by throwing them in our face whenever we judge anything. Well, that's not what Jesus was saying here. He wasn't saying, don't ever judge anything. But on the other hand, he also wasn't saying, don't always judge everything, right? Even well-meaning Christians often uh, find themselves in a position where they uh, want to comment on what somebody else is wearing or the movies that they see or their politics or the people they vote for or how their kids are behaving or whatever it happens to be. And sometimes they can't help themselves and they have to speak up. Uh, so the, the, that's not what Jesus was telling us to do either. He wasn't saying never judge. He also wasn't saying always judge. So we have to get to the bottom of when it's right to judge and when it's not right to judge. So let's talk about what this verse does mean. Uh, and what we see here is that there is a difference between judging with discernment and being judgmental. And so when Jesus said, don't judge, uh, he wasn't prohibiting judging anything, anytime, but he was saying to judge with discretion, uh, to use discernment. And when you think about it, it's impossible to obey the commandments of Jesus without rendering some kind of judgment. Remember, uh, Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's correcting all these false attitudes and he's telling them, be different. Don't be like the scribes and Pharisees. Don't be like the hypocrites. Well, how can we do that if we haven't first uh, looked at them and made some kind of value judgment about the things they're doing, the things they're saying, the things they're teaching, and then made a decision uh, based on our discernment to go another way, uh, to, to do more than what the scribes and Pharisees said, to, to have our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, we have to make some kind of judgment there. So Jesus wasn't saying, check your brains at the door uh, and cast all judgment aside, but Jesus was prohibiting them from being judgmental and condemning. 
And so we're not to have this critical attitude towards others, always trying to find fault in anything they say or they do. Now remember that uh, Jesus was always talking to the scribes and Pharisees and about the scribes and Pharisees. And remember that they were legalists. They had determined in their own minds what their code of conduct was going to be, something that they felt that they could adhere to. It wasn't God's standard, it was their standard, but they made up this standard and then they decided, well, everybody else has to follow this standard that we have established. And then they would judge people harshly uh, who didn't keep their code of conduct and that didn't meet their standards and there was no mercy or grace in anything that they did when they were doing their judging. All they did ever was look down on people for their own, uh, the sake of their own superiority and to be condescending. And Jesus himself raised uh, or reserved his harshest judgment for these scribes and Pharisees, right? Calling them hypocrites and vipers uh, and whitewashed tombs and fools because of their hypocritical attitudes. And so Jesus has been teaching all throughout the Sermon on the Mount so far. It's about changing your attitude, correcting wrong attitudes. And so here he's doing it again. So don't judge with an attitude of superiority, a condescension, condemnation, and hypocrisy. That's when we're not supposed to judge, but we are supposed to judge with discernment. Well now, in the next couple of verses, Jesus gives us several reasons why we are not to be judgmental. We're just not qualified uh, to be anyone's judge. So here's what he says. He says, don't judge. The first reason is so that you will not be judged. So God did not abdicate his throne and put us on it. Do you know that? Do you know that we don't sit on the throne? God still sits on the throne, right? Uh, he didn't put us in his place. God is judge and we're not. And so there are consequences when we decide that we want to sit on his throne. And the consequence is that we may be judged uh, as we judge. And so Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14, he said, uh, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, right? So we don't have the jurisdiction to judge. We're not that person's judge. God is that person's judge. We don't judge. And if we could learn this simple truth, we would be a lot better off in all of our relationships. Now, why would we approach anyone with an attitude of judgment and condemnation when we know what sinners we are ourselves and how much we have been saved from uh, because of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins? We should rather have a spirit of grace and mercy, the same spirit of, of mercy and grace that we want God to have with us, the same spirit of mercy and grace that Brant Jean showed to Amber Geiger. What does it mean, though, when it says that we should not judge so that we will not be judged? Now, we're believers, right? And believers aren't going to be judged, right? We are saved by the blood of Christ, and we're not going to face judgment. Well, that's not the kind of judgment that we're talking about here. Uh, unbelievers are going to be judged, and, and we're not judged the same as unbelievers. Unbelievers are judged based on their failure uh, to accept Jesus as their Savior, and they will suffer eternal consequences for that. That's the kind of judgment that unbelievers face, but we won't be judged in that way. Uh, we will be judged, though, and we may be disciplined when our actions are not in step with what God has for us, with his nature and character and how he wants us to become more Christ-like. And so he doesn't want us to be judgmental or hypocritical or condemning of others. Uh, Jesus condemned the Pharisees for that kind of behavior, and he'll judge us too. And it may be in the form of discipline. 
It may be in the form of loss of eternal rewards. We don't know exactly what it means when he says so that you won't be judged. But the principle is that only a perfect God can judge. And since we are not perfect, we lack the ability to judge. We are to be poor in spirit, to mourn our sin, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, and to be salt and light to the world. That's our role. Uh, and so that's Brant Jean, right? That is a picture of mercy and grace and somebody who's living out the Beatitudes before our very eyes and may we model ourselves after him. Now, if we have that attitude, we have an opportunity to be salt and light to the world. But a judgmental uh, 21st century Pharisee can't be those things because they are already puffed up with knowledge, puffed up with pride, uh, and they are looking for opportunities to build themselves up by condemning others. And so uh, that's why we shouldn't judge. But another reason is that the measure of our judgment uh, will be used against us. Verse 2, in the same way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And so if we judge, God promises that we will have judgment in return. And the, the, the measure of our judgment is the measure that we use to judge others. And so we don't want our own standards to be applied back to us because we couldn't, even under, we couldn't withstand our own standards of scrutiny. And so uh, that's uh, only part of the problem. God's standard of scrutiny, of, of course, is much higher, and we sure don't want to be subject to his standard of scrutiny. Uh, but the scribes and Pharisees, of course, were the most judgmental people on the face of the earth, right? You remember... Uh, in John chapter 9, when uh, the man who had formerly been born blind testified about what Jesus did, and, and he lectured those scribes and Pharisees, and, and they, they accused him, saying, you were born in sin, you were, you were uneducated and, and steeped in sin from the moment of your birth. And uh, they judged Jesus. They said that uh, he is a sinner because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And so this is a very judgmental attitude that the scribes and Pharisees had. And according to the teaching of the rabbis of the day, God had two standards of judgment. One was a standard of justice, and the other was a standard of mercy. And uh, they taught that you could get either, either one. You could get mercy or justice, depending on the standard of judgment that you used. And so the scribes and Pharisees, uh, you can imagine the standard of judgment that would be applied to them, right? They, they, they taught with justice. They walked around uh, doing justice but never doing mercy and grace. And so that's the standard that would be applied to, to them. So whichever standard you want God to use with you, well, that's the standard that you use with others. Do we want mercy or do we want justice? Uh, who of us has never needed mercy and grace for something really dumb that we've said or done, right? We would love to have that back. Uh, so do we want others to be charitable to us when we uh, make a mistake like that, or do we want them to impose their justice on us? Uh, shouldn't we be more gracious in the face of the fact that we know how much we have been saved from and how much sin God has overlooked in giving us salvation? But that's just with other people. Even worse, how about our relationship with God? Uh, do we want God to examine every bit of our lives like a surgeon looks at a CAT scan looking for any speck of disease or something like that? None of us could withstand that kind of examination. So instead, we should be charitable toward others. Uh, mercy and grace should be our standard. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, Give, and it will be given to you. 
They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by the standard of measure, it, by, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So judge people the way you want to be judged. Give grace and mercy generously. If you have to criticize, if it's necessary, do it charitably, in love and in humility, and this God will return to you. And now a final reason why we should not be judgmental is because of our own hypocrisy. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus gives them kind of an, ex an absurd example, right? To show them the level of their hypocrisy and to show us the level of ours. Uh, this and the parallel passage in Luke are the only two places in the uh, New Testament where this Greek word uh, for speck and for beam are used. And what's interesting about them is that the word for speck actually means a speck of wood, like a piece of sawdust. So uh, what we have here is uh, a very small part of the hole is in our neighbor's eye, but the whole plank, the whole log, if a whole beam is in our eye. So the speck's not the same as the log, but it has the same qualities and characteristics of the log. And so Jesus was pointing out that the sin that we often criticize in others is the same kind of sin that we have in ourselves, but it's much bigger in ourselves. And in fact, it's so big that it blinds us so that we can't even see it. Uh, not only can we not see with God's eyes, we can't see with our own eyes because of this gigantic, gigantic obstruction uh, in our own eyes. And so uh, we have to think about when we're, when we're, whenever we're thinking about judging someone else, uh, we have to think about the log that's in our own eye. Uh, I heard a story this week about a woman uh, who works in an office and she is kind of has a reputation for sending out mass emails that are full of typos and grammatical errors and things like that. And uh, this week she received an email, a group email from someone else and she noticed a typo in it. And so she immediately hits reply all, uh, which included the boss and said something like, uh, you know, we have to really be careful about these typos in our emails because they tend to make our entire group look bad. Uh, I'm not sure what the motivation behind that was, um, but clearly she did not notice the log in her own eye before she was trying to remove the speck from someone else's eye. Uh, maybe she's trying to be judgmental, maybe she's trying to build herself up uh, and tear somebody else down. I don't know the motivations of her heart, but that's the kind of attitude that Jesus condemned. So if we wanna go looking for specks in other people's eyes, we better be sure that we have removed the log from our own eyes first. And so what this means is that we should always be examining ourselves for sin, right? We should always be looking in the mirror first. We should be slow to speak. We should be slow to criticize and to judge. And we should always be sure that we are living a consistent life, that there's not hypocrisy in our own walk that people might point back at us. Now, a good example of this kind of hypocrisy uh, in the Bible is found in, in the, the story of King David uh, with Bathsheba. You remember that uh, King David took Bathsheba, who was not his, but belonged to Uriah. Uh, he, she was Uriah's wife. And when he had been uh, found out uh, to the extent that Uriah would not uh, sleep with his wife after a respite from the battlefield to cover up the sin, uh, he had Uriah killed on the battlefield and he thought that would cover it all up. 
Well, God sent the prophet Nathan to see him. Uh, and Nathan told him a story, right? There was a rich man who had many lambs and there was a poor man who had one lamb. And when the rich man had a guest, he did not serve his guest the, his, one of his own lambs. He stole the poor man's lamb and he served that up to his guest. And David, of course, was enraged by this story and he said, who is this man that I may punish him? And then, of course, Nathan's famous statement, you are that man, David. And so David didn't recognize his, his sin in the story, right? He, he saw sin, but he didn't recognize it as his own, and he had to have that pointed out to himself. And after he did, that's when he recognized it and humbled himself, that he was blind to it in his own life. And so we have to examine our lives for sin before we're going to speak into someone else's life. But I also want us to see here that it's not wrong to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's only wrong if you haven't been sure that the plank is out of your own eye first. Now look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So we are all subject to temptation, and we are all capable of any sin, and we have all committed sins that we regret and that we would love to have back. So judge the way you want to be judged. And the goal of judging is always to restore that person to right relationship to Christ. It should never be to show our own superiority. It should never give us joy to correct another. Uh, there's nothing worse than a high horse, self-righteous, pharisaical Christian, right? They, they turn people away from Christ in droves. So let's not be that kind of Christian. Let the rule be, don't judge. But Jesus does give us a bit of an exception here or a qualification in verse six. Here's what he says. He says, do not give what is holy to the dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under your feet, and they will turn and tear you to pieces. So all of a sudden, Jesus changes direction here, right? There, so what we see is that there are times when it's right to judge in the sense of discernment and discretion. And this is a difficult teaching because it seems to limit our obligation to evangelize. Uh, and we always think that we have to evangelize all the time, but that happens to be exactly what this verse is teaching. Uh, but I want us to understand that this is an extreme exception. This is not the rule. This is to be exercised very sparingly. And so I want us to ask a few questions to decide what it is that Jesus meant here. And the first thing we might ask is, who are the dogs and the swine? Uh, dogs and swine were unclean animals according to God's law. And so if you touched one, you were ceremonially unclean. You were not allowed to go into the temple to worship until your time of uncleanness passed. And so that made you an outcast. And so to be called a dog or to be called a swine would be extremely harsh language to use to someone. You'd be calling them unclean. It's one of the worst things you could call somebody in that time. Now, Remember that Peter was one of the 12 apostles, right? And remember that Peter was with Jesus hearing this Sermon on the Mount live from his lips, from Jesus' lips, when he gave it. Now, fast forward 30 years later, and Peter writes the epistle, 
known as Second Peter. And he's speaking about false prophets. He's talking about slaves of depravity, people who are opposed and hostile to all forms of Christianity. And this is what he says about them. He says, of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. So we get an idea here of who the dogs and who the swine are. They're not mere unbelievers. They're, they're more than that. It's always our responsibility to speak to unbelievers. But uh, when, Jesus, or when Peter was talking about these dogs and swine, he was talking about these false prophets, these people who are hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and when we run across those people, we are excused from speaking to them under certain circumstances. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, how will we recognize them? We can't walk up to strangers and say, you're a dog, you're a swine, how do you know? The only way you can do it is if you have a relationship with them first. You've tried to share the gospel with them on more than one occasion, and you find that they are utterly hostile to it, and there's no breaking through that. And then you may have the opportunity to say, well, this person is not willing or ready to hear the gospel at this point, and these are the dogs and the swine. Well, let's ask this, what are the pearls and the holy things? Well, they represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ became a man, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father and uh, he will come again to judge the living and the dead and to bring salvation to his own. And this is the gospel by which we are saved. These are the pearls and the holy things. So why don't we give pearls and holy things to dogs and swine? Well, the sad truth is that not everyone will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and be saved. But that doesn't excuse us from sharing the gospel. Uh, we are required to share the gospel with people and leave the results to God. But we must be wise and discerning because there are some people who will never believe even despite our best efforts and so it's best sometimes to know when to use our time and our resources and our efforts elsewhere. Some people prove not to be worth the time and the effort and the backlash that will come from them. Now, think about this picture that Jesus painted here. Uh, there's a man, and he's surrounded by a pack of starving dogs or pigs, and he's got nothing on him. He's got no food to throw to these dogs or pigs so that they might uh, go and be distracted. He has nothing but a, a, a sack of pearls, which to him are of infinite value. Uh, maybe to buy some time, he throws uh, these pearls to pigs and they hungrily go chase after them and they crunch them and then realizing that they're not food, they turn back on the man and tear him to pieces. So we have to look at this verse from God's perspective. From God's perspective, the things that are holy are, are too sacred uh, to be thrown to the pearls uh, to the pigs uh, and to the dogs. But from the hostile uh, unbelievers' perspective, uh, these pearls are worthless to them. Uh, just like a pig can't eat the pearl, uh, the gospel can't be received by a person who is a hostile unbeliever. He's not ready to receive it. Molly has this Facebook friend who is just so openly hostile to Christianity that it's not worth sharing the gospel with her anymore at this point in time. It won't work until the Holy Spirit does some kind of work in her life. And so you may ask, well, how do I know? How do I know when, if, or how the Holy Spirit will do a work in that person's life? And the, the, the answer is, we don't. We don't know. 
But the Bible is clear that there is a time to walk away from people, and we see it several times as we look in the New Testament. In Romans 1, for example, uh, we know that uh, God himself gave the people over to the lusts of their heart, to degrading passions and impurities, and, and he uh, gave the people over who not only did those things, but then uh, applauded other people who did the same. Uh, and Paul did it. We see this in 1 Timothy. He said, fight the good fight, writing to Timothy, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So Paul, walking away, turning uh, people over uh, to their devices. And we see it all throughout Acts, in fact. If we looked at... Uh, through Acts again, as we studied a while back, uh, we saw that Paul was constantly turning away from these hardened and hostile Jews and saying, from now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And so there are times, there, there is a time when we don't uh, spend our time with the hostile unbeliever. But again, I say that this is the extreme exception rather than the rule. In this passage, I want us to notice that Jesus gave five verses to the rule that we don't judge and only one verse to the exception. And that's a uh, pretty good uh, proportion as to how we ought to be thinking about this too. Uh, he doesn't want us sitting in the judgment seat of God. But there are times when our time and effort would be better spent elsewhere. And for that hostile unbeliever, uh, all we can do is keep praying, trust in the sovereignty of God, and pray that maybe our lives will be an example that they might want to emulate and draw them to Christ. So, to summarize... We are not to be judgmental, but we are to be discerning. We are not to be critical and condemning, but we are to be selective. We should carefully examine ourselves for sin before we comment on sin in someone else's life. And our goal is to have an attitude of love, not judgment. Our decision to be selective in sharing the gospel is only to be used in rare circumstances when, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, and through help with him, uh, giving us discernment and discretion, uh, we deem that this person is just too hostile to receive the good news at this time. Now, for Brant Jean, even the woman who killed his own brother did not fall into that category. Uh, and she, he, he deemed that she was not beyond the gospel, and he didn't cast judgment on her, but he offered her forgiveness. He didn't deem her a dog or a swine, but he preached the gospel to her. And this should give us an idea of how rarely the exception is to be used. And even if we have to turn from someone, we should mourn that decision and we should grieve for that person uh, who is not ready to hear the gospel with an open heart. Now, having said all of that, let's think by way of application about what our attitude should be uh, towards certain uh, groups of people. We, we have to think about our attitude toward unbelievers. How should we approach unbelievers uh, with the lessons of this passage. Well, if others don't have the Holy Spirit, how can we expect them to live like they do? So don't cast judgment on them. Don't judge what they eat, what they drink, the kind of music they listen to, who they hang out with, where they hang out. Uh, instead, show them the love of Christ. Be someone that they can feel comfortable with. Give them a place to belong. Uh, develop a relationship with them, and then you might have the ability uh, or earn the right to speak into their lives. So that's how we have uh, to approach the unbeliever. Well, what about the fellow believer? Let's let Christ be their judge. 
in extreme circumstances, we do have the right to speak into someone else's lives. And we can gently correct, but let's be sure that mercy and grace are our default mode, that we're not the kind of people who are always looking for something wrong in someone else so that we can point that out to them. Uh, let's have an attitude of this mercy and grace rather than correction or criticism. Let minor differences in theology and practice and lifestyle go. Let them live and reserve judgment for when it's absolutely necessary. And remember, uh, judge them the way you would want them to judge you. And now, uh, just something about our attitude about ourselves and how we do this. Uh, we should always have a humble attitude. We should always uh, think not so haughtily of ourselves, not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Now, if any of us is sitting here thinking, boy, I wish so-and-so could hear this message, well, we're already guilty, right? We've already uh, passed judgment. And so uh, we have to be careful about our own attitude. We should be looking at ourselves and our attitudes first. Let's not be the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, let's be sure there's no beam in our own eye, and then we can worry about the speck in our brother's eye. And if we can approach this issue of judgment in this way, God will be glorified. Let's pray. Lord God, it's a tough teaching as we sit and, and think about how you have a certain code of conduct that you want us to adhere to. And uh, Lord, we may at times feel uh, uh, like we are sanctified enough to speak truth into someone else's life. And Lord, I pray that we would uh, take a good look at ourselves before we do that. And when we do do it, that we would use all humility, all love and compassion when that is necessary, Lord. Help us to learn these difficult lessons of the Sermon on the Mount that uh, just change our attitudes about uh, everything that the world deems is good, Lord, and help us to follow what you tell us is good. Lord, we thank you for this teaching, and we thank you that uh, as we adhere to it, we are being made more like Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.